I'm grateful to be back with you today. I um, want to thank Jeff Martell for preaching last Sunday. You can clap. Yeah, that's good. Um, if you would do me a favor, if you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, we're continuing our series, traveling through the book of Acts. Um, we'll be in verses 23 to 31 today. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you, and you can turn to page 912 if you don't know where the book of Acts is. If you don't have a Bible, um, that is our gift to you, um, for you to study and read. Um, we believe in the proclamation of God's word, and we believe that the, the words in this book are the words of God, and that therefore we are to study and read it. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to, to take the one in, in front of you. Before we get to the actual passage, um, the title of today's sermon is A Church That Prays. And to be completely honest with you, um, to be completely honest, like the, the holidays were a difficult time for me. Um, they were difficult um, because sometimes, and I'm sure you've you felt this, and when I say it, you'll, you'll say, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Um, like, sometimes the holidays are not what you expect it to be. And, and I imagine in the climate, the political climate that we're in, the social climate, right, the, the division and the overwhelming feelings of fear and anxiety about COVID and Delta and Omicron and, and, and maybe for the holidays for you, um, there was a loved one who wasn't sitting at the table and, and the empty chair or the person that was sitting there that was supposed to be there was not there and, and there was this feeling of like sadness. And then you have to, um, then you after the holidays, it's New Year's and everyone is celebrating the new year. They're thanking God or um, excited about what God's gonna do in 2022 because 2021 was a mess. And then you think about 2021 and you remember January 2021 and everyone said 2020 was a mess. And, but then you get to 2022 and then like life goes on and there are more problems to solve and for some people in our church, for some people in our community, right? Like people died during the holidays or after the holidays. Uh, marriages are broken and, and problems that weren't an issue in 2022 are now a problem. I think for me the holidays were extremely difficult Extremely difficult, uh, not because something specific happened, but <laughs> I think about 2021 and I'm like, man, that was a tough year for us. It's been a tough year for me. And then sometimes, right, like you get placed in a position in a church to have to preach every single week. You get a phone call, you're on vacation, and they say, hey, we need you to, we need you to step up and, and to do something. And then you feel the weight of what's going on in our church and you're like, God, I can't do this. Like, too many people, too many problems, too many issues and people are leaving for good reasons, but 
what are we to do, right? I don't know about you, uh, but when I'm feeling anxious and overwhelmed, when I'm feeling like life pressures making me feel as though I am out of control, I don't necessarily resolve in my own heart to say, I'm gonna go to the Lord. Sometimes people in churches think that the pastors have it all together. Trust me, we are a hot mess. <laughs> I am a hot mess. I mean, I'm all over the place. Um, sometimes, like, you know, people in the church think that the pastors are supposed to have all the answers. You know, I was having lunch with a guy, and he's having questions about theology, and I'm just telling the Lord in, the, in my mind, like, I don't have all these answers, God, but you do. So, so what do I do when, when there's life problems and crises and there are issues and obstacles and adversities? What do I do? Well, here's what I do. I don't know about what you do, but I begin to start to worry and, and be anxious. That's my uh, first reaction, right? It's like, I need to worry. I need to be anxious. And then I start planning. I start thinking about what can I do to fix it. I'm, I don't know about you, but me, I'm a natural fixer. Like, I want to lean into the problem, fix it, manipulate it, change it, make it my own so that I can get the desired outcome. Um, so my, my initial first reaction to life's problems is to worry, to be fearful, and then to plan while I'm worrying and fearful and anxious. I'd imagine some of you in this room and watching online, that's the same case for you, right? And then I come to this passage, Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 31. And what we know about the church to this point is that the church faces much obstacle and adversity. And what's their first response? This is probably one of the first major problems in the church. In fact, um, I think going forward from this chapter and on, um, we see two storylines that are quite parallel and intermingle. Um, God and the Holy Spirit is working and moving, growing the church through miracles, signs, and wonders. At the same time, the church is suffering great violence and persecution. People are dying. And at the same time, God is moving and working, and people are experiencing great violence. The church, men and women who are called by God, who have the filling of the Holy Spirit, are experiencing great adversity and violence, and yet God is still working and moving and growing his church. Their first response is to pray. I don't know about you, but I struggle with prayer. For many of us in this room, I don't know about you, sometimes I don't have the words to pray. Like there are no words. I remember back um, it was in 2016 to 17, a whole year, a whole year in which, um, like, there were not many words, but there were a whole lot of tears, and it was a point in my life that I didn't know what God was doing. I, I doubted my calling to ministry. I didn't see open doors. Um, I was 
about to leave one job, didn't have another one. And, and for a whole year, like relationships were fractured in my life. Um, relationships that were good relationships in my life that I thought were, were healthy were now um, becoming a problem. And, and for a whole year, um, I didn't have the words to pray, just tears. Then subsequently in 2000, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but in, in 2021, um, I can point back to January, um, a, a time in my life, the whole year of last year, a time where like, I felt so far away from God that even the words that I spoke to God in prayer didn't make me feel any better didn't make me feel like he was closer or he was near. It actually made me feel farther away. I would read the word. I mean, I read the word and I recite scripture and the words mean nothing to me. They're just words. I know what the words mean, but, but why are the words not filling my heart, making me feel differently? Why, why am I feeling alone and fearful and anxious? Why am I worried about my life? And this, at this point in my life, had nothing to do with what our church was going through. This was way before. So what am I supposed to do? Like, what are you supposed to do when you're feeling anxious and fearful, afraid of, of even some of life's circumstances that you face, but maybe even some of the feelings that you have? What are you supposed to do? The Bible says to go to the Lord in prayer, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer, supplication, make your request known to God. Amen. But what if you do that and nothing happens? What are you to do? I think many of us in our lives, the reason why prayer is such a difficult task, and, and I'm not saying it's an easy task. I think it's quite harder for us in our culture and in our church and our societies because prayer for a lot of people, like in my own life, sometimes you don't have the words to pray. You don't know how to pray. You don't know what to say. Like for some people, like you're feeling like you have to get it exactly right. And if, if you don't get the exact words and the exact phrases and the right sentences, somehow, some way, God's not going to answer that prayer because he's looking for you to get the formula right. Like in a math class, like you have to get the formula right to get the answer. And for others... Prayer, I mean, it's difficult because we're in our culture, in our life, when we want to talk to someone, we see them face to face, we call them up and hear their voice, we set up a meeting, and we can talk to them. But in scripture, prayer is to a God that for many people, they can't hear. For many people, actually for all of us, actually, can't see him. And the Bible is calling us to pray. And then for some people, prayer is difficult because sometimes prayer doesn't provide the solution to the problem in our minds, in our hearts, because the solution is too big. So what do you do? Acts chapter 4, the people of God, the church, 
are faced with an obstacle. Here's the obstacle. Peter and John have been threatened. Peter and John have been taken into custody. The religious leaders, remember during this time, this is not so far off from, from Jesus' um, ministry, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Many of these religious leaders were very much present in the time of Jesus' ministry. These are the people who crucified Christ. So Peter and John are faced with a problem. The religious leaders are talking. The religious leaders tell them, do not preach, do not say anything, but by the power of the Spirit, Peter and John are faced with great courage to say, no, we will proclaim the gospel. But then when we get to verse 23, we see something happen. We see something change. Though they had courage and boldness to proclaim the gospel to the religious leaders, they came back to the church. Now, the Bible doesn't say they were they were filled with the Spirit with great courage, and there was no fear and anxiety. There were no problems. And they moved forward with the gospel, and they proclaimed the good news, and life was good, and life was easy. No, what does the Bible say? Look at verse 23. The Bible says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, to the Holy, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 27. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And if you like to underline and highlight in your Bible, I would highlight all boldness because that is a phrase that has been repeated already in Acts chapter 4, verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Last verse. And when they had prayed... And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. There is great power in prayer. There is great power in prayer. I've heard this said before. This is one of my favorite quotes. Um, it's by the founder of Liberty University, and it was during a time when they were 
uh, building and expanding and at, at most of the time didn't have money to pay their professors and workers. And this is what the founder of Liberty University said, Jerry Falwell, senior, not junior, senior. He said, nothing of great spiritual significance happens apart from prayer. Why did he say that? Because of this passage. In this passage, we see that when the church is faced with great obstacles, when the church is faced with adversity, when the church senses that their back is against the wall, where there's no hope, there's no peace, when they sense there's injustice, when they sense there's a problem, when their life is on the line, when, when they feel hopeless in a situation, what does the church do? It prays. And it doesn't stop praying. And it keeps praying. And it waits on God to do something that they cannot do in themselves. They prayed. When they're faced with overwhelming problems, they prayed. So this morning we're going to look and we're going to ask this question. The question is, what are the characteristics of the early church's prayer? And the reason why this is so important is because this morning is going to encourage us to have faith and trust in a God who answers prayers. The greatest, look at me, parents, the greatest thing that you could ever do for your children and your family is to pray. The greatest gift you can ever give your children is to pray with them, to pray for them, and to show them that you as a family pray. The greatest thing that you do for yourself is to pray. Why? Because prayer changes our hearts. It aligns our will with God's will. And it says, God, if you don't do this, then we're done. Like, that's what true prayer is, right? Like True prayer is coming to God and saying, listen, we are trusting and relying on your character, your power, and your will. And if you don't do this, your name is on the line. And, and it's, not us, it's not up to us to change the cir circumstance. It's only you and your power can do it. And that's what the early church did. So this morning, we're going to look at the characteristics of the early church's prayer. And the first thing I want you to notice in the very beginning, in verses 23 and 24, is that the church shared each other's burdens. The church shared each other's burdens. One of the biggest problems that we have in American Christianity is that we're so individualistic that, that in the church, we, we, we want to project to other people that we have it all figured out. We want to project to an unbelieving world that, hey, if you come into this building and sit at our pews, your life is going to be okay because guess what? My life is okay. Like, I have a nice car. I have an, a good spouse, and we have nice clothes, and we don't have marital problems. We don't argue. Our, ki our kids are not crazy and running around acting a fool like our, our family is perfect. We even have a dog that we take pictures of and include them in the Christmas card. Because our life is good. Now, when I'm not saying those things are bad, 
What I'm saying is that sometimes we tend to, to want to show the good things going on in our life because we don't want to present to the unbelieving world that we don't have it all figured out. And I'll keep repeating this as much as I can. This church is not a museum. We're not here to invite people to see how awesome and good and great and expensive we look. This church is a hospital. This is where people come in. Are you in pain? Are you in hurt? Are you fearful and anxious? Come on in. There's enough beds here that you can, we, can, we, can, we can take care of you. We have a good physician. He's not only the physician, but he's the nurse and the caretaker. Anything you need, we have. There's no co-payment. You don't have to pay nothing. It's all free. The only thing you have to do is come on in. But so often we want to tell the world, we're a museum. Look how good we look. But the church here in Acts, that's not their intention. What we immediately see is where, with Peter and John, when they come to the church, though the Bible in the first 22 verses say that they had great courage to preach and proclaim the gospel to their enemies, what did they do? They came back to the church and shared their burdens. And what's the response of the church? They lifted up their voices together and called upon the name of the Lord. Do you know in Genesis chapter four, this is another of my favorite verses. I may have said this, I may say this all the time. Genesis chapter four, I think it's at the very end of chapter four. This is what it says. And in those days, they began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's when prayer started. Genesis chapter four. This is the legacy of God's people that they called upon the name of the Lord. For what purpose? To share each other's burdens. You don't have to carry your own burdens. Look at me. If you're here in this room watching online and you have this overwhelming sense that you have to have your life put together so that other people can applaud and praise you, just know that we're here to share your burden. Are you anxious and fearful? Come on in. We will help you. Are you worried about the vaccine? Come, we will call on the Lord to bring peace. If you're worried about COVID, come, we will call on the Lord for clarity. If you're concerned about your children and your spouse and your job, your finances, come, we collectively will share the burden to call upon the name of the Lord. The second characteristic we see in this passage in their prayer is that the believers in the old, the believers in the church not only shared each other's burdens, but they prayed together. They prayed together. See, this is, this is why, like I said before, that it's very much different what we see in the book of Acts and what we see in modern day Christianity because modern day Christianity sometimes says, let's pray in silent, which is okay. I'm not saying that's bad. But, but what I'm saying is that when, when we want to share each other's burdens, we, we could pray for each other. Why, why do you think Tom, and that wasn't prompted by me or anyone else here, when Tom says, get together and pray for each other. That was a movement by the Holy Spirit that led him to do that. Why? 
Because that's what the early church did. They prayed together. They called on the Lord together. Right? Galatians chapter 6. This is what Paul says, right? Bear one another's burdens so, so to fulfill the law of Christ. What is this law of Christ? Well, it's to love God and love people. And the way you love people is to share their burdens. And sometimes you don't have the solution to the problem. But here's what we do know. That praying together, calling on the name of the Lord, is a solution that God, through his power and his, and his mind, can work in the life of the believers. The, the other characteristic we see in this passage is that not only did the believers prayed together, shared each other's burdens, but also that they were aware of God's sovereignty. Now, now I know that that idea sometimes can be overwhelming for people in our congregation and can be overwhelming for people in the world because it's, what do we do about free will? Here's all I want to say concerning this passage. If you look down to verse 24, when the people of God were faced with obstacles and when they were faced with a problem, who do they call on? They call on a sovereign Lord. Now, why is God sovereign? They tell us why God's sovereign. Why? Because he's the one that made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Why is God sovereign? Because he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. Why is God sovereign? It's because after they say, he proclaimed through the prophets the word of the Lord. I want to give you a definition of sovereignty. And, and I think this is a good definition. And the definition is that God governs, God governs over all creation, people, and situations. Here's what that means. That means that God is intrinsically involved in the world, in the universe, and in the people. And the people of the church realize that he is in control, that he is governing all things. Now, now here, here's, here's some nuance, right? They proclaim God to be sovereign, right? They say sovereign Lord. Why is he sovereign? Because he's the creator and he's the God who spoke everything into existence and he spoke his word to the prophets. But, but yet, though God is sovereign, they still prayed. Right? Like if we're going to say that God is in control of every single aspect of our lives, does that mean that we have to, we don't pray? Does that mean that we don't seek out God? No. The sovereignty of God has to do with his character. It means that he governs all things and somehow he calls us to call on him to intervene in life situations when, when we think that, that something is overwhelming or when we think that something's out of line, right? Like there's something between God's sovereignty 
and our prayers in which God works and moves. And that's a beautiful testimony to the church and a beautiful testimony to God's character that he invites us in to the redemptive plan by us calling on the Lord. And let me tell you something. You go to the Old Testament one of my favorite stories, and I have to tell you this, one of my favorite stories is King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, the prophet goes to King Hezekiah and tells him, get your house in order because you are going to die. What does Hezekiah do? <laughs> the prophet Isaiah leaves the courts and Hezekiah prays. And he says, Lord, I'm not done doing your work. You have to give me life. You have to intervene. Look at what you have done among your people. Let me continue to lead and guide your people. King Hezekiah prays this prayer. And what does God do? He tells the prophet Isaiah, hey, go back. Tell King Hezekiah, I've given him 15 more years of life. That's God's sovereignty. And I'm not here to tell you that like, this is nuanced, that somehow, some way, that God in his sovereignty plans out and ordains the world creation in all situations, and yet he invites us through prayer to seek his will and even to plead with him to change our circumstances. But the people of God realize that God is sovereign. Everyone believes in God's sovereignty. No matter what you believe, you have to believe, right, that God is in control and he's actively in those situations. And how he works out his plan, whether he does it through the prayers or where he does it by making decisions, that's not up to us to figure out. The only point that we have to realize is that when we go to the Lord in prayer, we know that he has the power to do whatever he wants, and yet he invites us in to this communication with him to say, God, we need you. What we also see as part of God's sovereignty is that in this passage, when you look at verse 26 and 27, the apostles and the church realized, right, that the reason why the Gentiles rage, the reason why there are problems in the world, the reasons why that, that there's strife and violence, and the reason why there isn't peace, one, is because of sin, but two, is because what people do who are not believers are not doing it against us, they're doing it against God. That's what this passage says. And as part of God's sovereignty, the believers believed that this was all of God's plan. And in fact, they even say that not only this is God's plan, but it was God's redemptive plan that he would use Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, the religious leaders to crucify the son. It was his plan that he ordained that he will be crucified. And what the church is doing here is acknowledging that God plays a vital role in the life of all believers. And if he played a vital role in the life of his son Jesus, then he's going to play a vital role in our lives. 
So what is their response to God's sovereignty? Well, they prayed, believing that God can change their circumstances because they were feeling threatened by the religious leaders. So they also not only prayed, not, also, not only did they believe in God's sovereignty, they also trusted in God's redemptive plan. Right? Like if you look at verse 28, verse 28 says, to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. They trusted that what God has done to his son Jesus, through his son Jesus, was his plan. And they surrendered their will to him, but yet asked God to do the thing that they couldn't do. That's one of the characteristics of their prayer. A trust in his redemptive plan. A trust that God's going to redeem not only them, but their situation. However he does it. Whether he does it through prayer or he does it through his will. They trusted in God's redemptive plan. And, and then we get to verse 29. And, and now that they've acknowledged God's sovereignty, they've acknowledged, right, that they need each other, that they need to pray with each other. In the last part of this section, they make a request. And here's the request, right? Remember, that somehow in God's sovereignty and plan and, 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 in their, and, and their desire they make a request to the sovereign Lord. And this is what they ask. They ask for boldness. Notice what they don't ask for. They don't ask, would you take the persecution away? They don't ask, would you make the religious leaders stop? They don't ask, would you make us feel better about this situation? What do they ask for? They asked for boldness. They asked for boldness. They also asked for, for the continued testimony of the work of Christ. How do they do that? They do that by saying, God, as you continue to do signs and wonders, we want you to continue to not only give us boldness, but to use the signs and wonders that we see in the book of Acts to testify of God's work and the person of Christ. And I want to say this morning as a caveat, right, that, that as we read this passage, um, it is not our desire that we get the formula in which they prayed and expect the same things that they had, right? Like in our church, we, we don't expect signs and wonders to happen when we pray. Though on the mission field, like if you ever talk um, to Todd Schreiner and, and talk to our missionaries, like God is doing things that we can't explain on the mission field. But I want us to understand, right, that in this passage, that if, if we do it right, then we're going to see signs and wonders. That's not the point. The point of the signs and wonders is to point to the work and finished work of Jesus Christ. This is the problem with televangelists, if I can go on a rabbit trail. The problem with televangelists that you see on TV who, are, who say, if you pray, you will receive signs and wonders. If you give money, signs and wonders. If, if, if you listen to this tape and buy this shawl, you will see signs and wonders. No, 
That, that's not the way God intended it to be. In fact, it's the other way around. It's that when you see signs and wonders, it's supposed to point you to the work and person of Jesus Christ. Not you become a Christian so you can see the signs and wonders. The signs and wonders are to say, oh man, God is real and he's doing a work in our community or doing a work in this country then Jesus is real and true. It's not, Jesus is real and true. Believe in Jesus so that you can see the signs and wonders. That's not the way it works. But I want to encourage you this morning is that when you pray, don't feel the burden of like, I have to see signs and wonders. And if I don't see that yellow feather come down at exactly four o'clock when I finish praying, then then God is not going to answer my prayer. No, that's not how God operates. Prayer is supposed to point us to the finished work of Jesus Christ. So, my question to you this morning is, do you believe that God is able to answer your prayers? Do you believe that when your back is against the wall, when you're feeling overwhelmed like I felt in the last year, And in 2016 and 17, when you're feeling the pressures of having to perform or to be a certain person, like when you're feeling overwhelmed by the persecution of our culture, like, wait, is it is it your your desire to to plan and manipulate the situation? Or 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 do you believe that God is able to answer the prayer? Man, what what would our church look like? Look at me for a second. What would our church look like if the world, the city of Akron, knew that the chapel in Akron was the church that prayed? What would happen to our city? What would happen to the people that walk into this room? I mean, if we were known for the church that prayed, no matter what was happening out there, When people came in here, they would know and understand that the presence of God resides in this place because the people of God have been convinced. The people of God in this room believe that the way they wage war against the enemy, the way they fight back against the obstacles, the way they fight back against the fear and the anxiety and being overwhelmed by life's problems is by prayer. What would our church look like that people would come down, walking into those doors, hearing the proclamation of the word and say, something's happening here because the people of God prayed. I don't know intimately how God's sovereignty works in every situation in prayer. But here's what I do know, that God is able to do it. And God is trustworthy that we can pray together with boldness and to say to him, life is difficult right now, but God, you're able to change my circumstances because you are the God who created the heavens and the earth. You are the God who spoke to the prophets. You are the God who made promises to our forefathers. You are the God who says, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. You are the God that says that you don't have because you don't ask. And therefore, the people of God 
the people of God in the church prayed. What would happen to our lives if we were people who prayed instead of planning and manipulating our circumstances? Here's what I want to do this morning as I close. I want to pray. And I just don't want to pray, thank you, God. You're awesome and great. Those are all good things to say. But I truly want to pray. I want us collectively to bombard the throne room of God and say, listen, you need to look at my circumstances and my problems because I'm not going to make it any much longer. I can't hold on to this pain and grief and hurt. And if you don't do something, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation. Our church is in need of God to move in our lives. So we collectively can bombard the throne room of grace and say, God, we need your grace and mercy when in our time of need. Why? Because when the church was faced with obstacles, persecution, and death, they prayed, and they prayed boldly, asking God to show his work and his presence in their lives. So let's pray. Take a moment in the silence of this room. What is the thing that most concerns you about your life? Why don't you take a minute and bring it before the Lord and say, just as you answered the prayers of the church where you shook the place and you gave them boldness, would you, would you do that right now? Father God, with so many New Year's resolution and prayer not being on that list, God, would, would this year be the year for our church and our people that they will cry out to you in prayer? I ask you, Father God, that the pain, the hurt, and frustrations of life's problems, that you would intervene in ways that we cannot answer. God, you are the God who created the heavens and the earth. And you are the God who had a redemptive plan for your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And, and you are the God, therefore, who answers our prayers because of your son. God, would you intervene in our lives, in our life situations, as a testimony of your faithfulness, as a testimony of your ability? Father God, that we meet, that we may give you the praise and glory when you do answer that prayer. And Father, if you don't answer our prayer, we will still praise you because you've already done the work. You've done the greatest miracle in our lives by giving us life through Jesus. And if, if you never answered any of our prayers, God, we would be okay because we would know that we would see you face to face one day. But in the meantime, we wait for you, God. And we ask you to intervene just as you intervene in the lives of the church. We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say, Amen. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.